good morning. As Pastor mentioned, uh, my name is Esteban Marquez. My wife Alejandra is here on the second row. We have a little eight-month-old baby, little Sebastian, in the nursery. And that is a whole story in itself. We'd love to tell you that story. I, in fact, I might get into a little bit about that this morning. But um, we are on deputation, as Pastor mentioned. We're on our way to Mexico City. Uh, I'll share a little bit more about our testimony in, uh, in maybe a, another service. But uh, God has been so good to us in, in calling us. And I want to thank uh, the church family, Pastor, for being so kind to us. Uh, we were here back in April. And uh, you all just welcomed us with open arms, and uh, we've been able to stay there at the, the nest, I believe it's called, and uh, that, that house that you have there. And it's been a tremendous blessing for us to be able to settle down a little bit and uh, be able to develop some sort of routine with uh, little Sebastian. Uh, he's, been, he's been a trooper on the road, but uh, we're so thankful for your kindness, for your generosity. And uh, I forget who I was telling, but... Just uh, all the meals, thank you so much. I, I think I'm going to have to develop a running program or something because uh, if I'm not careful, I'm going to leave here with 10 extra pounds that I did not intend on leaving with. So, but thank you so much. You've all, been, uh, all have been so gracious, so kind to us. And really, we feel like we're part of the family already. And uh, we've only been here a few days. So thank you so much for, uh, for that. Um, it's good to see... Uh, pastor, and, and again, many of you that we met when, last time we were here, we got to see Mrs. Tozer. The Tozers came to our church for about 15 years. Uh, every year in the summer, they did a tank crusade, and uh, they, they've known me since I was 15 years old, and my wife since she was, she would have been maybe eight years old, and uh, so they've been a tremendous blessing to us uh, in, our, in our lives as well, and encouragement to us and to our families, to our church, definitely as well there at Fundamental Baptist Church in Escondido, California. Um, if you would please open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're looking forward to getting to know many of you. And uh, we've already gotten to know several of the families here. I want to thank you again for your kindness to us. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're able to, we'll just read one verse. If you would stand with me, please. We'll read one verse to begin here. Verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness. Thank You that one day You met us, Lord, when... We were hopeless, we were without any joy, stability, hope, and we thank you for saving us. Thank you for uh, Jesus Christ and what he means to each and every one of us. Thank you for eternal life, for forgiveness of sins, for your love and mercy each and every day. Lord, as we uh, delve into this, this, this topic in this passage, I pray that you would help us to, to see what you have for us. Lord, help us to be attentive, to uh, remember how good you've been to us, Lord, and uh, that we would be reminded of how much we owe you, how, how uh, blessed we are just, just to be saved. Help us, Lord, to, to think about that and uh, to do something about what you've done for us in return in serving you. Help me, Lord, as I'll, be, as I'll be expounding upon your word. Help us to listen and to obey your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to help answer this morning uh, a question that uh, is a very common question, and we get this question a lot on deputation. Um, And the question that I'd like to help us answer is this, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? Now, I understand that if we ask 10 different Baptists, we'll get 10 different, or 12 different answers, okay? So I understand that. We're not going to get any uh, very deep into this subject. I'm not a very uh, deep preacher anyway, but I think we'll, we'll see some things that maybe we have not considered before. And uh, I understand also there, that there is a, what's, what someone might, uh, might call a universal will of God that applies to each and every one of us, and there's a unique will of God that God has for each and every one of us that, that might be different for all of us. We'll talk more about this universal will of God, what, what uh, God would have each and every one of us to do. Um, the will of God. How do I know that I'm doing the will of God right now? Now, a couple of misconceptions about the will of God. One of those is that when we think about the will of God, that it will be something that it's just, you know, it feels you know, you get this warm, tingly feeling, and you know that God wants you to do that, you know, or you're going to see a light shine down from heaven, and, and that's how you know, you know, and, and when you're, how do you know that you're supposed to marry someone? Well, if the clouds open up just right, and the, the sun shines on that person, and they glow, you know, that's the person you're supposed to marry, and, uh, and sometimes we think about things like that, or we think, you know, the will of God is in the future, that's kind of how, how I used to think. The will of God is one day I will do the will of God, but right now, you know, I just have to bear through life and, and hopefully one day I'll get there. But the truth is, right now, we can know that we're doing the will of God or that we are not doing the will of God. So if I were to ask you that question, are you right now doing the will of God, what would you answer? Well, one thing that we need to know then is what is the will of God? What am I supposed to do if I want to know that I'm doing the will of God today? We begin, uh, this is a message that's a little bit different than I normally preach. This is more of a topical message. Uh, more, uh, normally I stay within one passage, but notice what the Bible says in verse 9. not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The whole uh, context of Second Peter chapter three is the the promise of the coming of of, of Christ, the fact that uh, you know we're all the, the, the uh, really the second coming, but uh, really it has it has to do here with Christ coming and and why has he not come yet? And you know people have been saying that he's going to come for for many many years, and how come he's not here yet? And there will be scoffers, and there'll be people that will question. And the Bible says here that the reason why Christ has not come is because he is long-suffering. God is uh, so uh, patient with us and long-suffering that he wants many people to be saved. Now, as, as much as I'd like to be in heaven today, and we would all say, Amen, you know, praise the Lord, I want that day to be today, the rapture to happen today, and praise the Lord for that. But, you know, I think, I think of family members that are not saved. I have friends that still need to be saved, and if, if the rapture happens today... They're not going to be in heaven. But God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. What is the will of God for my life? Well, let me tell you, based on the authority of God's word, I can tell you today that it's God's will for you and I to be saved. If you are here and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, that when you breathe your last breath, you will go straight to heaven, then let me tell you, God wants you to be saved. 
In fact, he did everything that needed to be done for you and I to receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect, unholy life. He died on the cross when you and I were the ones that deserved to pay for that, for our own sin. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when I deserve to pay for my sin in a terrible, terrible place called hell, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through a church, no. Through a baptism, no. But through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if we, if we want to have that uh, assurance that when we, when we die, we'll go straight to heaven, Jesus is the only answer. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So it's God's will for you and I to be saved. We'd love to be able to show you that if you don't know that for sure. And let me encourage you to not leave here today before having that assurance of salvation of your soul. It's God's will for you and I to be saved. You might be thinking, Brother Esteban, what does that have to do with me? I'm already saved. In fact, I got saved last year or 10 years ago. You might be thinking, well, Brother Esteban, I've been saved longer than you've been alive. Perhaps. (laughs) You might be thinking, well, what does this whole thing about the will of God have to do with me? Everything. Because if it's God's will for you and I to be saved, in fact, if it's God's will for the whole world to be saved, then the question for you and for me is, what am I doing so that all come to repentance? Now, I want to commend you as a church because obviously you have a great missions heart. Uh, you, you are very missions-minded, and I, we can see that. I tell people within five minutes of walking into a church, we can tell if, if the church has a, uh, is a missions-minded church or not. And we, that is evident here. And I want to commend you for that. But you know, the question is not, what is, a, what is Eagle Heights Baptist Church doing so that I'll come to repentance? Now, that's a good question to ask. But the question that I need to ask myself is, what, what is Esteban Marquez doing? What are you, you can plug your your name in there, what are you doing so that all come to repentance? Am I giving to missions? Am I praying for missionaries? Am I willing to go? What am I doing? Am I sharing the gospel with others? What am I doing so that all come to repentance? Why has Christ not come back yet? Two reasons. Number one, because he's long-suffering. He wants more, more people to be saved. And number two, he's waiting for Christians to do their job. He's waiting for us to share the gospel, to do what He's commanded us to do. What's the will of God for my life? My salvation. Number one. Number two. Second, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. Genesis, Exodus, 1 Thessalonians. Okay, not quite. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice verse 1. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So Paul here, he's been with the church at Thessalonica. He has spent time with them. He has ministered to them. He has invested in them. And now he's away, and he writes this letter unto them, and he says, you know what God expects of you in order to please Him. You know what you're supposed to do. You know we've, we have taught you. We have ministered to you. And he says, you know uh, you have, uh, what you have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God. And you know, the, that's, a, that's a truth for, I would say, 99 if not 100% of, of us. If you've been saved for any length of time, if you've been coming to church any, for any length of time, you know what God expects of you. I know what God expects of me in order to please Him, don't we? 
Usually when we sin, it's not because we had no idea what we were doing. If we're honest, when we sin, we know exactly what we're doing, right? When, when we get mad, when we say things we're not supposed to, when, when we sin, we know, you know what, I, I, I knew I should not have done that. You know, usually with kids, we don't, um, kids don't, don't say, well, Dad, I, wasn't, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to hit my little sister with a, with a stick until she bled. You know, I had no idea, Dad, right? As adults, it's not, well, Pastor, really? I, I don't know I wasn't supposed to talk to my wife that way. Really? Well, thank you for telling me. Now I know. You know, we know what we're doing, don't we? That's what Paul is telling them. You know what God expects of you in order to please him. Notice what it says. He, he begs them, he implores them, he beseeches them that they would abound in those things more and more. Notice verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. In other words, what we taught you was not something that we just came up that was nice, that was popular, a nice speech. He says, what we taught you was a commandment of Christ. And then notice verse 3. For this is the will of God. Now something tells me if we want to do the will of God, we need to pay attention, right? What is it about to tell us? This is the will of God even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So it's God's will for us to be, number one, saved, and number two, sanctified. Everything that you and I do will either help us in our relationship with the Lord, or it will hinder our relationship with the Lord. Um, If we are not different today than we were yesterday, or last week, last year, if we have not changed our relationship with the Lord, if we are not closer, if we are not doing things differently, then we're not being sanctified. Now we understand that salvation, it happens in a moment, right? Many things happen at that moment of salvation. Um, and, and, uh, but sanctification begins at that point and then continues up until we get to heaven. So we are to be sanctified now. So the question is, what are we doing today that's different than yesterday? Are we doing anything different? If not, then we're not part of this process of sanctification. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So if we, first of all, if we're not saved, we're already starting off on the wrong foot. We're already, we know we're not doing the will of God. And if, as believers, we are not sharing the gospel, we're not being a part of the Great Commission, we're already not doing the will of God. Now, I know that's, that's convicting, but it's right there, right? In black and white. Sometimes in red, depending if Jesus said the words, right? But my salvation, my sanctification, what am I doing? And we, we understand that it's a lot easier to do wrong than it is to do right, isn't it? Um, so if, if this whole process of sanctification doesn't happen on purpose, it will not happen at all. It doesn't happen by accident. We don't just wake up one day and think, wow. You know, I am really spiritual today. You know, I, I think I'm going to go be a pastor somewhere. No. My sanctification, it, it takes some time, but it's a decision that you and I make. There's a biblical principle in Ephesians chapter 4 that I'd like to just touch on real briefly. This biblical principle of replacement. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 19, kind of in the beginning of a thought here, but for the sake of time we'll begin here. 
Ephesians 4.19, For being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. He's telling the Ephesians the same thing that, uh, that he was telling the, the church at, uh, at Thessalonica. You, you know some things, you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Notice verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So we are to put off certain things. Notice verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So God tells us here that as believers it is our responsibility to figure out what are the things that are helping us in our relationship with God and are hindering other things that are hindering our relationship with God. The things that hinder, we're supposed to put those off and then replace those things, put, put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness, put on those things uh, that would help us in our relationship with the Lord. Now we'll come back to verse 23 in, in a moment, but it talks about renewing our mind. Renewing our mind, which is kind of sandwiched in between putting off and putting on. I think that's very interesting. But uh, sanctification, you know, many times I've heard people say things like, well, you know, I just, I just have a short fuse and, and my dad was like that and his dad was like that and, and we just, we're just like that, we just, we just get angry quickly. Or, you know, I am, from, I am from this country and I am this nationality and we just, we have a short temper and, you know, and that's just who we are. Um, in other words, there's a certain part of me that God cannot change, right? That's what we're telling the Lord. God, yeah, I know that you've made me. I know that, you know, you saved me. But, you know, this one part of me, you, you, uh, you really don't have authority to change. That's just how I am, God. We're telling God, God, you can't change me. It's the will of God for you and I to be sanctified. That we should abstain from fornication. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Kind of um, connected with, with this thought of sanctification. Familiar passage. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Wow. I don't know if you've caught that before. But God puts the giving of thanks together with His will. Someone said, if you don't have a gratitude attitude, you just have an attitude. When we are thankful for what God has done for us, we remember who God is and who we are. We're reminded that God is a, a, a holy God, a good God, but a holy God, and we deserve nothing good from Him. If we just receive salvation and receive no other blessing after that, we would be eternally indebted to God. But the Bible says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I, I am so thankful for that. In everything, give thanks for this giving of thanks is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I wonder if we're thankful people. I wonder if we take time to, uh, to uh, Pastor mentioned this morning that many times we take just being in church, we take that for granted. The fact that we can be here, we can do the things that we normally do without even thinking about it. And um, giving of thanks is the will of God. 
So my salvation is number one. My sanctification is number two. Notice in Romans chapter 12, another familiar passage. Romans chapter 12. We'll kind of dissect this a little bit. Romans 12, notice verse 1. I beseech you, implore you, beg you, therefore, brethren. So he's speaking to believers. By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, he's speaking to a group, a group of believers, and he's letting them know, you ought to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So a presentation to God for him to do with our, with our lives, with our bodies, whatever he wants. Now, I don't know what you think. When I think of the word sacrifice, I think death right? Um, we had chicken yesterday. We had uh, all kinds of different foods yesterday. But uh, chicken, when we have chicken, the chicken gave its life, right? Maybe not on purpose, but gave its life so that we would eat. Um, there is no coming back from death from, for, for that chicken, right? That's it. Sacrifice. Why does the Bible tell us that we are to give our bodies as a living sacrifice? Well, someone said that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it wants to get off the altar. Even after we, we make a decision, God, you know, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my life on your altar. We still have a choice. We can still decide, yeah, you know what? It's not as comfortable. I don't really like this. I don't know what God's doing. I'm going to get off that altar. We, get to we, we still decide that. So it says, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And notice what it says, holy, acceptable unto God. Now this is where many times there's a disconnect. I don't know if you've heard people say things like, hey, what, what are we going to do with that old vacuum cleaner? Should we throw it away? No, let's just give it to the church. Now hopefully you've never said that. Hey, what about that, uh, that refrigerator? It, it doesn't really work very well. Maybe the church can use it. Just give it to the church. Now, let me ask you this. Is that giving our best to God? In the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice a lamb, would they come with a, 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 a lame lamb, you know, couldn't see out of one eye with rabies, you know? and all, would, they, would they say, oh, this is what we're going to offer to God? No. They would offer their best. Because when we offer God something, it ought to be what's wholly acceptable unto us, no, holy, holy, acceptable unto God. And that's one of the biblical principles that we were taught about giving God our best with our, our younger years. When uh, we were getting, graduate, getting ready to graduate from high school, I wanted to study architecture. My wife wanted to study uh, something in medicine. That was our goal, but we were counseled and advised to give God a year of our life in Bible college. Just one year, and if you know, God still wanted us to transfer, then we would transfer, and that, that's what our plan was. I wasn't in Bible college for even two months before uh, we had a missions conference and God got a hold of my heart about serving Him. But we were taught, give God your best years. When you have the energy, when, when you have the time, and, and uh, not, you know, don't give God your leftovers. Um, now, I understand some people get saved at a later age and all, and all that. I understand that that's a little bit different. But you know what? Let's serve God now. Amen. Let's not just give God with a little bit of time that we have left. No. Let's give God our best, because we're to give God that which is holy, that which is acceptable unto Him. 
So the third point here is my surrender. My salvation, my sanctification, and my surrender. That is the will of God for my life. After we have given God our body, our, 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 uh, who we are as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, it says it is our reasonable service. That is what is expected. That is what is just the minimum for what God has done for us. And notice what it says in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Now that word conformed is the idea uh, like Plato that conforms to a shape or jello. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That word is the word metamorphosis. It's a complete and total change, transformation. How does that happen? Well, it tells us here, by the renewing of your mind. When we got saved, we had a, we had a different way of thinking, didn't we? We had a, a, a view, uh, a way of thinking about politics, about life, about being a good husband, being a good uh, citizen, about uh, just so many different things. We, we thought a certain way. And as we started learning about what God would say, would have to say about different subjects, we started changing the way we would think, right? Um, so God started to shape the way we thought. Uh, we live in a world that has things upside down. Okay? They call right wrong and wrong right. And uh, it's very easy as believers, if we have not been grounded, if we don't know the mind of God and the, 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 the Word of God, to think that way as well. Be- just because it's popular, because that's what everyone is, is thinking. But God begins a process of changing the way we think. The things that, are, that were not important before, all of a sudden are important. Right? And the things uh, on the other, uh, vice versa, the things that uh, were important before, all of a sudden as believers, as we grow, they're not as important anymore. And so th- then begins this renewing transformation of our mind. Renewing of your mind. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, God says we are to put off certain things. And in between verses 22 and 24 is verse 23. That says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and then put on the new man. I find that very interesting. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I start looking at life through the lens of Scripture. And really that's what biblical counseling is. When I understand what God's perspective is on different issues, different uh, situations, different problems, I'm able to to filter those things through the lens of Scripture and respond biblically. But that doesn't happen until we have the mind of God and we know this book. Right? We allow this book, not just, not, we don't just know it in our, in our mind, we know what it says, but we allow that to change the way we think. My surrender. Now, it says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this word prove is a very interesting word. It's, it's, uh, that word means to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve or to deem worthy. Okay? I don't know how many of you have worked in some kind of factory where there's a, a product that is made. If you have, you'll know that there's a, an inspection process. We, uh, a few weeks ago, we were able to, to go to the Tillamook Cheese Factory in uh, Tillamook, Oregon. I don't know if any of you have been there. It's a pretty neat place. They just redid the whole thing. And um, there is a, a lady that is sitting there on a stool. And as, a, as the blocks of cheese come in, she's watching each of them. 
and then all of a sudden she'll just grab one and inspect it, and sometimes she'll put it in, on the side to, to fix later. Sometimes she'll just throw it in a little bucket that's there on the side, and uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking that's trash. I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. But, uh, but she inspects it. When, when, when a product is inspected, they decide, okay, is this going to be sent back to be fixed? Or do we just, is it, you know, are we going to just throw it in the trash? Or is it worthy of being out and sent out to be sold? This whole thing about the will of God, this, this, this word prove means that I've already experienced the will of God and I've already found it to be good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, why do we tell teens and, and kids, why do we tell them, serve the Lord? There's no better life than serving the Lord. You want to serve Him, and, uh, and you'll, you'll find joy, and you'll find fulfillment. Serve God. Why, why do we tell them that? Well, number one, because it's in the Bible, right? But number two, because many of you have been able to compare a life lived for self and a life lived for Christ. And, and, and when we compare the two, really there is no comparison. We think, well, you know what, I'll never go back to the world. I'd rather serve the, serve the Lord for the rest of my life. And we try to teach him that because we have proved it. You have recognized the will of God to be genuine after examination. That's what you've done. That it truly is good, acceptable, and perfect. Sometimes teens have a hard time with that. Because they haven't proven God. And praise the Lord for uh, protecting our kids, and I believe we should. You know, not, not allow them to go and, and, you know, have free range of the world and sin and all that. We should protect them. But many times, they haven't come to that point where they have to trust God. They haven't seen mom and dad, you know, struggling and, 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 and getting on their knees and praying to God about paying the bills. About a sick child that, you know, they don't know if they're going to make it through the night about just so many different decisions that they have to make. They haven't had to test God and put God to the test and, uh, and to the point where they don't have a plan B. And uh, I remember uh, I was a youth director for six years, and I remember the, the struggle with, the, with, with teens. And do I go to Bible college? Do I go to secular college? Should I take a job? Should I go to community college? And uh, those are pretty scary decisions to make for a teenager. And... Uh, and when we understand, when our mind has been renewed, then we'll understand that the, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Why are there so many believers that have not placed their life on God's altar? Well, really the main reason is because they are not convinced that the, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. I wonder if we trust God enough, we trust His will, we trust Him enough to where we allow Him to, do, to, to come and change whatever He wants in our lives. Does God have the authority to come and say, yes, I know you have plans, and I'm a planner, okay? I like to plan things out. I, I like to know where we're going, what we're going to do. But sometimes God changes our plans. And I wonder if we, if we allow God, if God has the authority to come in my life, if I've given him that authority to come into my life and change whatever he wants. Those plans that I have about studying this, doing that, going there, buying this. If God were to say no, am I willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to obey you. If God were to say wait, 
Am I willing to be obedient? Does God have that authority in my life? When my wife and I um, were getting ready to, to have our little our, our child, uh, we were told the whole pregnancy that it was going to be a girl. I had scheduled uh, the meetings kind of around that, and uh, I had, I thought, enough time to be able to, you know, allow her to, to have the baby and, and, you know, recover a little bit. And we were told we were going to have a girl on March 14th. So we prepared for that. Um, February 19th, well, really, the beginning of February, we had everything ready. We had a, a suitcase. We had uh, a, a bunch of little girl clothes that we had. I had bought a, you know those little um, carts that you, uh, I, don't, I don't remember what they're called, but uh, there's a little cart where sometimes they, they take kids, like, uh, like a little wagon. I had that packed with snacks. I had juice, candy, I had all kinds of different things for it, because I knew, man, I don't want to pass out in the middle of, you know, her giving birth, and, you know, and um, I, I want to make sure I'm good to go, so, so I, I had everything ready. Beginning of, of February, we had all that stuff. We thought, man, we have a month and a half, we are good to go, we're doing pretty well. My wife, we had a huge baby shower, they gave us a, a lot of clothes, and uh, pink as far as the eye could see. My wife had washed all of the clothes, removed the tags, organized everything by size, all the little hats, socks, dresses together, all of that. February 19th, they tell us, so who told you, uh, we had an ultrasound, who told you you were going to have a girl? Well, the technician from the last ultrasound, the doctor said, well, would you be disappointed if it was a boy? We thought, oh, no. (laughs) So we thought, well, we have three weeks to get ready. Two days after that, he decides to come. We had no clothes. I had to cancel two meetings um, for, for us to, to be there at the hospital, and we had one onesie that we could use for him. We went to the hospital just with one onesie. God changed our plans. When I surrendered to serve uh, in, full-time, I didn't know what I was going to do, but that was 2004. I said, yes, Lord, I have no idea what you would want me, why you would want me to serve you, but if you could use me in some capacity, I am. I'm willing to do that. I surrendered in 2004. 2006, God led me toward Mexico. But guess what? It's not 2006. It's 2019, almost 2020. And we're still not on the field. God decided to teach me some things. I was on staff for six years. I got my master's degree. We got married in 2016. Began the process in 2017. And sometimes I got antsy. I I told the Lord, Lord, I'm supposed to be there. I felt like I wasn't in the will of God. I thought, Lord, you called me to go to Mexico, but what am I doing still uh, still in the States? And I had to remember that, number one, the will of God is not just in the future, but today. And number two, the fact that God's timing is best. And God had said, wait. And I needed to be okay with that. I needed to be fine with that. Again, can God come and tell you, I want you to start this ministry. I want you to get involved with, with this ministry or you know, help out at the church or share the gospel with this person or surrender to go fill in the blank. I want you to be surrendered. Does God have that authority in your life and in mine? Or are we so stuck with our plans that we say, no, God, this is what I'm supposed to do. 
This is what will fulfill me. This is what uh, I enjoy doing, and this is, this is my, my plan. Again, there's nothing wrong with planning. But have we given God enough authority to come and change our plans? If we haven't, you know why we haven't done that? Because we're not convinced that God is good, acceptable, and perfect. That His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. We think we know better. Now, we would never say that out loud, right? But we think, well, I don't, I don't want to be miserable on, you know, on the mission field and the living in the jungle, eating worms. You know, I, I, I don't know what we think about the will of God. But you know, if, God, if that's where God calls us to do, you know what? He's going to give us a desire to be there and a, a love for the people, and we will want nothing else than to, than to do that. Do we trust Him enough with our lives? It's God's will for us to be saved, sanctified, and surrendered. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I would, I would imagine that most of us have been tithing for a while. And you know, there's two places in the Bible that I can think of, maybe more, where God says to prove him. Malachi 3.10 is one of those. Prove me now herewith. Talking about tithing. And I think most of us, or all of us, if you've been tithing for any length of time, you would say, you know what? God has been faithful. I know I can trust him with my tithe. Really, it's not mine. It's, the, it's all his. But I can trust him with that. But you know what? I'm here to tell you that, yes, we can trust Him with our tithe. But you know what? You can trust Him with your life. Amen. Because God will always be good. He will always be faithful. You know, there's a whole lot more things about Mexico and our move down there and what we're going to be doing, where we're going to stay, all those things. There's a whole lot more things that I don't know than the things we do know. I know just a couple things. I know we're going to serve under, under, uh, well, with the missionary for about a year. But I don't know where, where exactly in uh, Mexico City God would have us to start a church. I don't know where we're going to live. I'm going to be flying down in here in a couple months to find a place to live. Hopefully it's close to the church. Um, we have a big question mark with uh, our car situation. And uh, I won't take the time to tell you all that, but we have a decision to make. There's a lot of things that we don't know. But you know as believers, we're not to make decisions based on the things we don't know. Otherwise, we would never do anything for the Lord. If we want a five-year plan and all the details filled in, we'll never do anything. We're not supposed to make decisions based on the things we don't know, but based on the things we do know. And you know what? We know that God is good. We know God has called us. We know God will meet our need. And that's enough. Is that enough for you? When God says go, when God says wait, it's... just knowing that about God and about His will and about what He's leading you to do is, is knowing what you know about God enough for you to say, yeah, I'm there. I'll, I'll, I'm willing to obey. And if we can't say that, then we need to be reminded, we need to allow God to renew our mind so that we stop thinking the way we're thinking and we start thinking biblically. Understanding that God's will is always, always good, acceptable, and perfect. I wish I could tell you, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, come to my office, I'll tell you God's five-year plan for your life. I wish I could. I don't know God's five-year plan. I don't know God's one-week plan. Now, we plan things out again, but God can change those things anytime. 
But although I can't tell you, go ahead, brother, buy that F-150 that you've been wanting to buy. You know, but that Chevy Silverado, praise, it's God's will. Go ahead and buy it. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you, buy that house. Move here. Take that job. I don't know. I, I, I don't know those things for you. But you know, based on the authority of God's word, I can tell you that it's God's will for you to be saved, sanctified, and surrendered. And I hope that that's the case. And if not, I hope that we'll trust, trust God enough today where our, our mind will be renewed enough where we, we know, you know what? God is good. He's always faithful. And His will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, it's so easy to be selfish with our time.